Namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Idanko tanang dudasang Sabba Sankha Vesu Samato Sabupadi Patinisago Tanhakayo Virago Nirodo Nibananti That uh, Gata, there's a few verses which I just chanted at the beginning of this first talk of the Rains Retreat for 1998. Uh, was something which I mentioned on Monday night from the Word of the Buddha class, which literally means that this thing or this ground is very hard to see, namely the quietening the tranquilizing of all sankharas, the abandoning of all what is usually translated as substratums of existence. It includes candas, the five senses, it includes karma, it includes kilesas, the abandoning of all those. The destruction of craving, the fading away, viraga, cessation, extinction, nibbana. These are things which are hard to see in this world. However, this is the goal of this practice, a nibbana, that and nothing else. It's not easy to see. However, the, the Lord Buddha left a very clear path which if people would put aside their <coughs> personal views, their uh, conditionings from the past, and look to see what the Buddha actually taught, what he said, if possible in the original Pali, then you actually see a very clearly laid out path of practice which leads to Nibbana. In particular, that part of that quote which I just chanted, uh, a synonym for Nibbana is Sabha Sankara Samatha. I said the tranquilizing of all Sankaras. <coughs> uh, to use a anglicization of a Pali term, you may say the Samatha in of all Sankaras is a synonym for Nibbana. That is why in this monastery I teach Samatha. Not just jhanas, but the Samatha-ing of all the Sankharas. The abandoning of the realm of the five senses, the abandoning of the five khandhas, the abandoning <coughs> of karma, the abandoning of all defilements or kilesas. The Samatha-ing of all of those. So, 
this evening I wanted to give this overview, uh, this theme which underlies the whole of monastic practice. Sometimes when people translate samatha as concentration, they are missing so much of the meaning of that term. And in fact, misunderstanding the meaning of that term means they will never be able to achieve the fruits and taste the delicious sweetness of what happens when samatha really happens. To say it's concentration is missing a lot. That's why <coughs> I prefer to call samatha just the, the method for letting go. And the different stages of samatha in the monastic practice are no more than different stages of letting go, of abandoning, of giving up, of relinquishing. In particular, you'll notice that the path of samatha begins with the abandoning of unwholesome acts of body and speech, the letting them go, the samatha-ing, the tranquilizing of all unwholesome acts of body and speech. This is why that in the teachings of the Buddha, that sila, your virtuous practice, plays a fundamental part in the path towards Nibbāna. And sometimes you have to say that if a person is having difficulty with the higher practices, such as samādhi, such as a gaining of deep meditative, meditative peacefulness, then one of the first places they should pay attention is on their practice of sila. Because if you cannot let go of the coarser defilements of the mind, which manifest as things like uh, bad speech, lying, uh, <coughs> harsh speech, uh, just misuse of the senses in sexuality, lying, stealing, taking alcohol or drugs, which manifest in the breaking of the precepts of a, a novice, nun or a monk. If one cannot overcome those coarse defilements which cause the breaking of precepts, then you'll have very little chance of overcoming those very refined uh, causes, those very refined defilements which obstructs the mind from the deep meditations and which obstructs the mind from wisdom. It is why that we should look very carefully to make sure that we purify our sila. And that sila does not just mean the rules of discipline for a monk, nun, novice, anagarika. These rules of discipline ex extend to the monastic routine to what we call in this monastery the core what? To all of the rules which are laid down together which govern this monastery. When the, the Buddha said that we should see danger in the slightest fault, you should understand that danger <coughs> is the uh, 
acquiescing to defiled states of mind, the encouragement of unwholesome states of kilesas and giving rise to their further growth. There is a danger in the slightest faults. The danger is you're allowing those things, those coarse defilements which block progress to grow inside of you. So the first piece of attention one should give in one's practice is to the purity of one's sila, the purity of one's livelihood, the purity of one's actions, and the purity of one's speech. These are three important factors of the Eightfold Path which are neglected at a person's peril. You cannot just expect to sit on a meditation cushion and gain deep meditations without the purity of one's sila. Indeed, as many of the monks here know, it is stated specifically in the texts, in the suttas, that if a person hasn't fulfilled sila, that they cannot fulfill samadhi. Metang tanang vijati. That's impossible, the Buddha said. So, we have to pay attention to the ground of our practice, which is our sila. That sila extends not just to keeping rules, but to practicing sense restraint. And that sense restraint isn't just on the five external senses, it's also sense restraint in the mind. The sense restraint in the external senses is assisted greatly by the fact that you are all practicing in this monastery, where the people who come to visit dress moderately, where there is no television or radio, where there are no newspapers, where there is nothing to really grab hold of the five external senses and to distract them. Here is the ideal situation for sense restraint. It is why monastic Buddhism always achieves much greater results than any Buddhism practiced in the lay life, simply because the facilities for sense restraint, <coughs> if it's a good monastery I'm talking about, not a monastery in a in great city, I'm talking about a monastery in a forest, away from the uh, attractions of the world, that such a monastery will give such support for sense restraint, there should be no real problem with the restraint of the external five senses. But as you all know, it's the restraint of the sixth sense which can sometimes be the most troublesome. <coughs> this is the mind. This is that which can very easily go off into the past or the future, searching out memories, searching out plans for the future, searching out fantasies to distract yourself. And it is just too easy for that mind to become obsessed with those thoughts of past or future. It's too easy for the mind to be overwhelmed by them. And it's because you have not been practicing sense restraint. 
this is part of the sealer that we should look at. <coughs> here in this monastery, everyone here has supposedly left the world. And that world is the world of relationships, the world of sex, the world of soccer matches, the world <coughs> of Carlos Castaneda, all that world which is nothing to do with the deep meditations, with insight, with Nibbana. So, if you carry that world with you in this retreat, you are not practicing the restraint of the sixth sense. That restraint of the sixth sense is done with mindfulness, with clear instructions, with knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and doing it. Remember the way I teach mindfulness here and it's a very powerful teaching tool is that mindfulness has two aspects to it, both of which need to be cultivated. The first aspect of mindfulness is the usual clear knowing of what's happening. And the second aspect of mindfulness is remembering what the instructions are. Remembering while you are watching all of this what you are supposed to be doing. And you are supposed to be doing something more than just watching. You are supposed to, in this context, be restraining the mind. A person who has strong mindfulness is one who has constant attention on the content of your consciousness and always remembers what to do with what is happening. It is uh, something which I have taught many times but even if you haven't managed to achieve it yet it's the only way and that is that the only way to avoid unwholesome states of mind is to catch them when they first arise remember that they are dangerous and not to take the bait not to bite, bite the worm because you'll just be hooked on that state of mind. <coughs> Very often you've bitten that hook. Someone has said something to you <coughs> or you thought they said something to you and you get angry at them. You've bitten the hook. The mind has got caught in the whole process of anger. Or it might be desire for food, the desire <coughs> for the opposite sex, desire for whatever in the sensory realm. So often it's easy to, when these things come up into the mind, to not notice that with their satisfaction, with their allure, there is also a danger lurking in there. If it's a fantasy which you are thinking of, it might seem pleasant at the time, but remember the danger to it. It's not sense restraint. It's, it's causing you to incline towards the world. And it's obstructing the great blisses, the great freedoms, the great liberations which you read about in the suttas 
in which I will talk about sitting on this seat throughout this range retreat period. You are closing the door to something very beautiful and wonderful which is there for you to take. I remember Ajahn Chah saying, Ajahn Chah in Thailand, when I first went there, he said, Wat Nong Ba Pong, this was before Wat Nana Chah was built, Wat Nong Ba Pong was like an orchard. All the trees had been well planted and all the monks needed to do were to sit under the trees and wait for the fruit to fall. The work had been done. You just had to wait for the fruit to fall. And it was a very beautiful simile of the confidence which Ajahn Chah had in the whole practice. All you needed to do is to do what you were told. To do the practice as was outlined and the fruit would fall all by itself. If you can, remember the practice of sense restraint. To program yourself, if you wish to use that term, that every time a thought of the past or the future comes up, every time a thought of sensuality comes up, that I will say no to it, because I recognize the danger, having also recognized the delight in it. And then you will find that sense restraint will happen. Sense restraint is part of sila. If you do not practice sense restraint, you'll find the meditation very rarely gets deep. <coughs> Sometimes some monks imagine that they can practice sense restraint part-time and part-time just allow the mind to dream, to fantasize, to indulge in anger or in lust. I'm talking about the mind here. They think they can do that and then suddenly turn off that tap, sit on their cushion and get into deep meditation. <coughs> it can't be done that way. You have to be very careful with your sense restraint, especially sense restraint of the mind. You have to make that important practice because it brings great fruit. And if you are constant and consistent with your practice of sense restraint, both internal and external, you will find the mind will naturally incline towards peacefulness. Venerable Bramali was telling me this evening over tea, I think it was, uh, I think it was Venerable Bramali, that a person who practices sense restraint, that if a king or the one's parents or anyone come to tempt you back into the lay life, with offers of food, offers of great wealth, offers of pleasures. If a person has practiced enough sense restraint, they will be unable to return to the lay life. They'll be unable because just doing that much, perfecting sense restraint or practicing it to such a degree, will mean that the mind is inclining somewhere else not inclining to the world, but inclining to that great peace, to that Sabha-Sankhara Samatha, the great quietness of Nibbāna. And this inclination towards silence, emptiness, 
stopping is what the whole process of samatha is about the letting go of disturbances that letting go of disturbances which stops you seeing the Dhamma which stops you experiencing the Dhamma which stops you understanding cessation as that sila is purified so it becomes possible to be mindful because the obstructions to mindfulness are overcome I'm talking here about the gradual training of a person on the path towards enlightenment that gradual training is the way remember that each part of this way is about letting go once you have let go of the course of defilements the mind clears up you can see much deeper the mindfulness is more acute and you know much more about what needs to be done in particular the mindfulness should indicate to you the Anawaja Sukha the Abhayasekara Sutta, the sense restraint these are happinesses which come as a result of perfecting sila and perfecting sense restraint this is where <coughs> one starts to realize some of the fruits of the path and those fruits are peace, happiness it's important, and I stress this very much, that the development of such happiness, the noticing it, the looking out for it, the development of the perception of such happiness is crucial to the further development of the path. These happinesses can be deliberately developed. They can be developed in this way that if you have been practicing sila you should look back upon your way of life your actions of body and speech and if you've been practicing sila you've been keeping precepts you've been keeping the rules of this monastery you've been acting according to what's expected of you you look back and happiness comes in your mind if you look back and you've been doing some action of body, speech or mind which you know would not be approved of by the senior monks here but you think that no one knows about it you know about it so do a few others you find that there'll be no happiness in the mind there'll be a sense of guilt, the sense of, <coughs> of unhappiness, suffering in there conscience it's only when one's actions are pure is that sort of happiness possible the happiness of faultless conduct of body and speech the happiness, the spotless happiness of sense restraint that happiness <coughs> is something which gives rise to energy in one's practice for those of you who sometimes have difficulty with energy motivating yourself to sit meditation, to practice, to continue on always 
remember that that happiness can be developed simply for looking for it, simply by looking for it. Spend time reflecting, which means looking back on your sila. Look back upon your sense restraint. And if it's there, it will immediately give rise to great happiness, to piti sukha. That's its nature, that's the way it works. If you can't rouse happiness in this way, you should look to see about improving your sila, improving your sense restraint. These are some of the happinesses of a monastic life, and they certainly do <coughs> outweigh, even at this level, any happiness is found in the world. Happiness of purity of seal and the happiness of sense restraint. If those happinesses are there, you should also investigate why they are happinesses. This is why in this path the quietening down always goes alongside with insight practice. Why is it that keeping virtuous conduct gives rise to such happiness inside the heart? Why is it that sense restraint gives rise to such joy? Here I want you to see that the reason such happiness comes is simply because you summited a great burden, that you've tranquilized, relinquished, let go of, abandoned the problem <coughs> of dusila, of bad conduct, of sloppy conduct, of selfish, rebellious conduct. You've abandoned just the, the mind which is completely out of control and which catches on to any mood, catches on to any worm which is dangled before it, which we know as lack of sense restraint. Abandoning those hindrances is abandoning a great lot of suffering, of dukkha. When you understand that much, you understand why this is called a path of samatha and insight. It's samatha because you're letting go of burdens, of pieces of suffering. And it's vipassana because you're understanding as you're going along what is dukkha and what is sukha. Bad sila is dukkha not keeping the precepts, keeping the rules of the monastery, is dukkha. Not practicing sense restraint is dukkha. Bringing up your past or future is dukkha. Fantasizing is dukkha. If you don't realize that yet, then your insight is still very weak. Once that is realized, <coughs> that should give you through inference, some idea of what this path is all about. There are some things which are burdens, which are hidden bundles of suffering, which because you've been carrying around for so long, because you are used to, you are unable to see that they are dukkha. When we talk about insight, the insight culminates in stream entry 
when you see the full extent of dukkha. When you see that dukkha is not just having a cough or having an ache in the bones. Dukkha is not just (coughs) when you get disappointed, when things don't go the way you want them to go. Dukkha is also bad sila. Dukkha is also the lack of sense of strength. Dukkha is also the lack of mindfulness. Dukkha is also the manifestation of the hindrances in the mind. That is the mind which is experiencing dukkha. Even the hindrance of karma chanda, otherwise known as abhija, this is the hindrance of the mind <laughs> which is interested and values the world of the five senses. This is dukkha. You have to samatha the five hindrances, settle them down until they completely disappear. That's very hard to do, but it's a very important part of the path. It's important not only because it gives you access to jhanas, that's not just the only reason why you do this. (coughs) It's also important because it gives you the understanding of these five hindrances as being a source of dukkha and being, in essence, dukkha, suffering. These five hindrances for the ordinary person, for the putujana even, are considered to be not just a, a hindrance, they're considered actually to be fun. People develop karma chanda in the world. They develop their sensuality. The whole world, the economy is based on an appeal to sensuality. And governments very often make a lot of uh, a lot of headway on the second hindrance of wirepada, ill will. These are things of the world which people don't realize as totally dukkha suffering. First of all, you should know what these hindrances are. Karma chanda is the ascent to the world outside, the valuing of the five senses, manifesting as the mind being entangled with the work of those five senses and the inability to let those five senses disappear. Karma Chanda stops the samatha-ing of the five senses. The Vayapada is the ill will which can take any object. In particular, it can be ill will to oneself which stops one achieving any sense of happiness. It can be ill will to the meditation object. I don't really want to do this, but I have to, I suppose, because it's a range retreat. (coughs) If whatever meditation you're doing whatever practice you're doing grudgingly, without joy, then you are feeding the hindrance of Vayapada, ill will. Know those two hindrances, they're the two gross ones. But also you have the Tina Mida, just the sloth and torpor. To know that one as a mind without energy, 
The way to overcome that tinamida is to develop the idipadas, which is the subject of a talk which I will give later on during this retreat. You have something to achieve. Make a goal for yourself, because without that goal, a clear goal, something to aspire towards, it's just too easy for tinamida to come up. Sometimes, that those of you who do a lot of physical work in the monastery, when is a clear goal, such as putting on a roof, or clearing the fire breaks, or doing something which is, is very obvious what you're supposed to be doing, and, and what the success is, and it's very easy to develop energy. Use the meditation in the same way. If you're building a walking meditation path, you know what the beginning is, you know what the end is, you know what you have to do in between. Get in there and do it. Be very clear what the task is, and each step of that task, know clearly what you need to do. And every step of that task, once it's finished, stand back and admire your success, because that will give you even greater energy. Admiring your success is not going to be a hindrance to this practice, but it's going to be a great help. If you have a good meditation, give yourself a pat on the back in whatever way you can. Praise yourself. It gives yourself encouragement to go further and deeper. In the tradition I came from, if you had a good meditation, you would be praised. Once, <coughs> excuse me, Tina Mida is overcome through that developing of energy, <coughs> through developing idipadas especially. And Udacha Kukacha, the restlessness and worry, that worry will always be overcome through the purity of your sila. And the Udacha, again, is overcome through samadhi. So the ability to develop the contentment in the present moment, the contentment with what you're doing, learning how to value just this, to the point where the mind does not need to go somewhere else to find contentment. Please remember that Udacha is a mind which does not value what's happening now. If you don't really enjoy what's being said, the mind will go thinking about something else. If you're not content with what's happening, right there is the source of restlessness. In your meditation, always develop contentment with what you're doing. Whether it's watching the breath, whether it's being in the present moment, counting or whatever. If you don't have that contentment, then the mind will wander. And Wichikicha, the doubt, this is a very powerful hindrance which you have to overcome. It's not just the doubt as to the method. That method, I think, should be very clear to you by now. Many of you have not just listened to me, but listened to the tapes as well. You know clearly what the method is. 
but sometimes a doubt is in your ability to achieve it. That is a great hindrance to you. Please understand that each one of you has all that's necessary to achieve all of the jhanas, all of the paths and fruits, all the way up to Nibbana. You have that ability. As soon as you doubt your ability, you are creating that fifth hindrance of doubt. If you believe you can't, then you won't. If you truly believe you can, then you will. Obviously, the overcoming of that fifth hindrance <coughs> comes from developing the sadindriya, the first of the controlling faculties of faith. And that's not an easy thing to develop. However, that each one of you has it in you to develop that if you really want to. Those five hindrances, when they're overcome, means the mind has access to jhanas. In fact, as the Nalakapana Sutta very clearly says, that if you haven't got jhanas, then the five hindrances invade the mind and remain. Only when you do experience in jhanas do the five hindrances not invade the mind and remain. So not only is the achieving of jhana the samatha-ing of the five hindrances, but it's also the way to samatha-ing the five hindrances in future, to keep them at bay for long periods of time. But after a jhana has been experienced, reflection should always be done of why samatha ing the five hindrance, hindrances was just so blissful. To use this to know dukkha. This is samatha which gives rise to insight. Once you have the data, once you have the experience, then you have something to contemplate. Contemplating the ordinary experiences of life is simply not sufficient to give you the all-round understanding of dukkha. You do need to have the experiences of the deep meditations to understand fully the extent of dukkha and the nature of the mind. Nevertheless, just doing that much, samataing the, hin the hindrances and giving rise to jhana is well worthy of praise. In the suttas, the Buddha called these jhanas such things as pariweka sukha, the happiness of solitude, the sambodhi sukha, the happiness of enlightenment, the sambodhi. This is what he called them. He called them nibbana here and now in the Anguttara, dite dhamma nibbana. He called them the footsteps of the Tathagata in the Chulahati Padopama Sutta. He called these things where Mara 
cannot go, translated quite beautifully by Bhikkhu Bodhi, as when Mara is blindfolded. These are beautiful states of mind, states of samatha and vipassana, as much insight states as samatha states. As it says in the Dharmapada, nati jananga panyasa, there is no jhanas without panya, without wisdom. So as you are meditating, don't just expect to calm the mind down, overcoming hindrances and get into jhanas without doing any contemplation of what you're doing. The contemplation goes alongside of letting go. You let go because you understand. Because you understand, you let go. These two work together. It's only when you understand what these five hindrances truly are, what a burden they are, and that you also understand what lies beyond these five hindrances. Only then, through that understanding, through that knowledge, can you let go and enter into a jhana. <coughs> That's why I keep on saying, when you get into the deep stages of meditation, look for that happiness of the beautiful breath, Look for the happiness in the center of the nimitta. Take on that happiness of letting go of so much and then understand that happiness. If you know that happiness, you're inclining towards the happiness which will lead you to Nibbana. Having seen these jhanas, having seen the mind, then it's very easy to let go of the sensory world. It's very easy to put all of this out here in perspective. It's very easy to put this monastery in perspective. <coughs> this monastery is here to create jhanas. I am not here to keep this monastery going. This monastery has a very clear purpose. It's not an end in itself. This monastery's purpose is fulfilled when its residents achieve jhanas, achieve magapala, become arahats. These robes you're wearing are there for a purpose, for you to achieve jhanas, for you to achieve magapala. They're not there to make you look pretty. This whole teaching is here for a purpose, not just to be recorded on tapes and printed in books and discussed in learned treatises whether jhanas are necessary or not necessary. Jhanas are there to be practiced, to be realized as a path. And this is the main purpose of what we're here for. The samatha all of this, to quieten down all of this papancha, all of this noise the noise of the five senses, the noise of the candors, the noise of the ayatanas, and eventually to calm down the noise of the chitta. The chitta is very noisy. Doesn't seem to be at first, in first jhana, but as you develop the jhanas more and more, you just see how coarse the beautiful bliss of first jhana is. You see how coarse that consciousness is, the first jhana. 
here you'll see <coughs> the jitta as dukkha. This great mind, this great jitta, the luminous mind, you start to see as dukkha. This indeed is hard to see. Dudasa Sapasankara Samatha. You've summited a lot of sankharas, but you haven't summited all sankharas yet. Just see the gross ones. You've got all the sankharas in the mind. Vitaka Vichara, the movement of the mind onto its focus and the grasping of that focus. The piti, the sukha, even the upeka, the beautiful consciousness which is just so even, still, unmoving, but without sukha or dukkha. Even that, to be able to samatha, that state. Samatha means allowing it to go to extinction, allowing the flame to go out, allowing the mind to experience, for want of a better word, niroda. As you all know, the word in the suttas is to touch niroda and then disappear. As consciousness ceases, as the jitta pauses, there is where nibbana lies. This is what the Buddha meant by sabha-sankhara-samatha, the attainment of cessation. <coughs> this is why that samatha can be said just by itself, in this context, in this meaning, to lead all the way to nibbana. Of course, it's only focusing on the quiescent part the path, on the letting go part of the path, on the abandoning aspect of all of this. But as I hope I mentioned throughout, that the vipassana, the insight, the contemplation, has to go along hand in hand. But please remember this is the theme of the meditative practice. <coughs> it's that which underlies bhavana, the development of the path. This is all a path of letting go, of quietening and smoothing things up until there's nothing left, <coughs> until <coughs> there's complete emptiness. There is nirodha, cessation, nibbana, extinction. This is <coughs> the theme which is going to underlie everything. So even when you are eating your meal, it's just to samatha the hunger in your belly. When you're going to the toilet, it's to samatha the feelings in your intestines. When you're sitting meditation, it's to samatha the mind and the body. Remember what you're supposed to be doing and the path in meditation will be very clear to you. Calm, let go, calm, let go. Calm, let go, stop, stopping things, ending things. whole path here is to end things, not to begin new things. 
Beginning new things is papancha. Ending things is apapancha. It's viraga niroda. We come here to stop, to unwind, unload, unburden, to unthink, to become <coughs> completely unaware of the external world in jhanas, to let go as, as much as we can. So whatever you experience in your meditation, whatever you experience in your life, always remember that word, just calm. And have samatha sanya as a, a point of reference. Samatha sanya is just that perception which is inclining towards calming things down, calming your body down, calming your mind down, calming your meditation down. Calm, calm, calm. This is the way of samatha. I use that perception a lot in my own meditation. <coughs> Whatever I come across in the meditation, I try and just calm it down, tranquilize it, make it soft, make it peaceful. And very often I do that just by doing nothing. The nature of Sankaras is to end. If you don't make new ones, they end by themselves. Ajahn Chah made that beautiful simile. The nature of a leaf on a tree is to be absolutely still. It only flutters up and down because of a wind. In that simile, <coughs> the leaf, you may say, stands for the jitta. It only moves up and down because you're blowing it. Especially in meditation, make sure that you samatha the doer. You just sit there. You allow the process to happen. You stop all of this doing. Shut up, be still, and know some silence. Know the bliss of jhanas. Understand where this all ends. <coughs> so I think I've said enough this evening on the underlying theme of the retreat, calming everything down, letting go from sila, sense restraints, sati, uh, summitering the hindrances, summitering the body, gaining jhanas, understanding the nature of all these things. But always because of peace, letting go, relinquishment. That's what I have to say this evening. Has anyone got any questions or comments on what I've been talking about? Okay.